Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. second service. All right, well, we're going to be going through Ephesians 1. So if you want to turn there. Awesome. We're actually going to read the whole chapter, and we might read a little bit of chapter two. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, good. First service didn't give me permission. I, mean, I was going to take it anyway. <laughs> but uh, So I know Colt brought it up, but we do want to just celebrate something for a moment. Roe v. Wade was overturned this week, which is exciting. And so um, just a practical thing. For those of you who maybe are new, maybe you weren't here on uh, January 16th of this year, uh, Pastor Bill actually uh, gave a message on life, on the value of life and what we stand for as a church kind of goes a lot more in depth. So if you want to, you know, hear that, you know, maybe you have some questions, some thoughts, I would say that's a perfect place to start, especially if you're looking for the, the heart and the vision of this house behind that. Again, you can go on our YouTube, Life Center NYC on YouTube, and go to January 16th of this year, and you can have a whole message on that. Um, But for me, one of the things that was uh, sobering and exciting, you know, I'm 33 years old, so about 18 years ago, uh, there was a ministry called Bound for Life that was born with a life band and a whole prayer, and, you know, we don't have time to go into it. But the reason why it's significant for me is it was about the same time that as a young man, I started really going hard after the Lord. And it was the first time that I had given myself to focused intercession or focused prayer. And the very first topic that I really prayed consistently, or at least the first two topics that I prayed consistently, meaning you know, every week, every month, every year, for the past 18 years has been this prayer from the Bound for Life movement, which was Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of this nation, God, end abortion and send revival to America. And to see the first part of that starting to just tip over has been exciting for me, number one, because we we believe and we stand for life within the womb. You know, at this church, we believe life from womb to tomb. It's not that we we end the fight for life when the baby's born, but we're looking for life to be abundant from the moment of conception to the moment we go home to be with the Lord. Uh, And so praying those things for 18 years and then seeing just the start of something happening, and obviously we know that we're going from a a national level to a state level, and the states that we, most of us, live in, in New York and New Jersey or Connecticut, uh, they may double down on their laws, but we're going to double down on our prayers. And knowing that if he answered once before... How many of you know he'll do it again? And what many for 49 years, almost 50 years, thought would be impossible, with God, nothing is impossible. 
And so we, we do want to say too, you know, if you are in the room and you've had an abortion or you've aided an abortion, the grace and the mercy of the Lord is more than sufficient to cover a multitude of sins. And so we, we as a church, we stand with you and we extend that same love and that same grace and that same mercy towards you. Uh, but I do want to say there is permission to be excited about something like this. I know sometimes you hear the news and you're like, well, unfortunately, we live in a place where X, Y, Z. And yeah, we get that. But, you know, imagine you had two broken legs and the Lord healed one leg. And then your response was, well, I have this broken leg. You know what I mean? It's this thing like, no, thank you. And now it's this faith. If he did it once, he'll heal the, he'll heal the other leg. You know, so it's okay to celebrate, even though we may live in a state that, Seemingly nothing would change, but everything is changing in the spiritual realm because we don't fight a battle against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and the spirit and in the heavenly places, all right? So Ephesians 1. Now, I love this book of Ephesians for many different reasons, but one of them is just, for me, it's been one of the most helpful, well-rounded ways to approach the kingdom of God, the Christian life, um, from salvation into like the deep things. It talks about so many different things that we're gonna go through today. And the title of my message is All In. It's All In. And when we're reading at least Ephesians 1 and 2, just in these first two chapters of this letter that Paul's writing to Ephesus, we see tw at least 24 times, depending on your translation, maybe it's a little bit less, a little bit more. But in my translation, 24 times where it says this phrase, in Christ, or of him, or in whom, all of this connecting to this phrase, in Christ. And we're going to talk about what that means, and then our response to want to be all in, completely in Christ. So we're going to read the whole thing. So if you want to take a deep breath, I'll take a deep breath and a little sip of water. All right. Here we go, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself." that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, we just ask that you would open up our eyes, open up our ears, the eyes of our understanding that we would know the knowledge of your son, the height, the width, the length, the depth of his love, that we would understand his ways. Lord, as we speak your word, as we speak and go through the scripture, Lord, we just ask that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that in all that we're doing in our worship, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our prayer, in our fellowship, that you would be lifted up, glorified, that word glorified, meaning to lift him up. And so we do today, Lord, we lift you up over the service, we lift you up over the city, Lord, we lift you up over our families and over our personal lives. And we say, be glorified in everything we're doing and everywhere we're going and everything we're saying, be glorified. Let our life bring glory to your name. Let what we do lift you up and cause you to be lifted up just as the Father glorified you. So we too, Lord, we glorify you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So, I want to take us verse by verse. As I was saying about Ephesians, even specifically the first three chapters, there's a great deal in which Paul begins to teach the believers about, you know, who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. He begins to lay foundations of identity, which we'll specifically see, especially in Ephesians 1 and 2. Excuse me. Also, as believers, what our position is in Christ. Uh, We get to have this invitation to fully embrace our true identity in him, in Christ. And to do that, we must first trust what Jesus did for us in his death and in his resurrection and in his being seated in heavenly, heavenly places. And we must also believe and accept what God says we are rather than who others say that we are. And so we're gonna go through verse by verse um, because I really believe that in Ephesians, we can start to see some of our true identity. You know, one of the most common desires for most believers, especially early on, is I want to know what the will of God is in my life. I want to know what I'm called to. I want to know who I am. And maybe it's something that we physically ask, we verbally ask of ourselves, of each other. But we may not verbally ask it, but it is something that is in the back of our minds. It's in our hearts, this desire, who am I and whose am I? And I believe Ephesians, Paul begins to do something right in the beginning. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And I love this because he didn't say to the Ephesians. He says to the saints. And he's calling them a name by which he knew that the Father was calling them. And that word saints, that that name, it means holy ones or the ones who have been 
made holy. And how, how are they made holy or why are they being made holy? Because these are the ones who devoted themselves to Christ. And I know growing up, uh, you know, this whole battle of holiness, of living right, righteous living, was it, truly it was a battle. It was a striving thing for me where I tried everything I could and thought to do and thought not to do. But what I didn't realize was the only way to attain holiness was to receive the gift of holiness, which comes from him. And what, what Paul was saying is, you know, when, when the father looks at you, he no longer sees you as just you alone, but he sees you as the saints the devoted ones who are in Christ. And right in the beginning, and again, chapters one and two, just these two chapters alone, never mind the rest of Ephesians, 24 times, 24 times we see this phrase, in Christ. And so we're like, what does that mean? And this very first thing, he's calling us holy. Why? Because we've devoted ourselves to Christ. And I just wonder if instead of trying to be holy, we spent more effort devoting ourselves to Christ, being all in, that we would find that, that that attaining of holiness would actually come at a greater ease. Because the more we devote ourselves, the more he continues to make us holy. In fact, I would argue to say that there is a generation trying to make themselves holy when they don't realize the only way to be made holy is through Christ. It's by his grace and it's by his blood. And so instead of trying to live by a set of rules of what to do and what not to do, we get invited into an identity where there's a naming ceremony and he says, no, now I call you a saint and now come devote yourself to me so I can show you who you are and who I've called you to be. And we see in 2 Corinthians that we behold us in a mirror the glory of God and we're transformed into his image from glory to glory. And so we see right from the beginning, there's this identity thing that when you devote yourselves, this word faithful can also be translated devoted. That when we're faithful, when we're devoted to Christ, he makes us holy. And that starts right in the initial conception of our salvation when we choose to make Jesus Lord of our life. All right, verse three, we see where it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So everything we need in life, every blessing we need is found where? In Christ. Christ. It's in Christ. And it's amazing because we look for, you know, at least from what we've experienced, we look for riches, we look for things, and there's things that we, we want, but everything you need is in him. Everything you need for life and life and godliness is found in him. Every blessing and every riches in the heavenly places, which we'll see even later on, is found in Christ. Meaning if you're wanting to live a life that is vibrant and full, the only way to do it is to find your life in Christ. And to do that, we need to be all in. You know, I can only be in this room or not in this room, you know? I, I can't be fully in this room and fully in another room. And I've found, at least in my walk and through my experience, that we have a generation, which is no age or gap, just generations, in the church where we're trying to see how close or how much of the gray area we can live in but still be in him. But this, this invitation today and this call that I'm giving to you guys, some of us it might be the first time, some of us it's a re-signing up. No, I'm going to go all in. You know, growing up, Lou Engel, one of the the spiritual fathers even of this house, he had this phrase and he said, find out what God is doing in your generation and 
throw yourself into it. And that's how I've lived my life. I decided, well, if I'm gonna go after you, Lord, I'm going you know, head first. I'm not doing the ankle deep, knee deep. I'm doing that Ezekiel River so deep that one must swim to get across. And in fact, I made a commitment years ago. This was like Toronto is one of these this phrases that um, Cheon challenged us to do. He says, I, I challenge you guys to jump in the river and never jump out. And it's this thing. It's like, I don't want to be in the banks. I don't want to be on the side just kind of kneeling in and just drinking of him when I need it or when things get really, really, really hard, right? I want to be in the river in the highs and I want to be in the river in the lows. I want to be completely all in. And I think Ephesians is calling us to be completely in him. You know, if, if I only give a part of my life or a part of my actions submitted to Christ and part of it not submitted to him, then I'm not in him completely. I'm living a life that's dual-minded and I'm living a life that's in, in the church but also in the world. We don't wanna be double-minded. We wanna be single-minded. We're gonna get... We're going to get even to some more things here. All right. Verses four and five. He chose us just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I love this one phrase right here, having predestined us to adoption as sons by grace. That word uh, adoption and the Aramaic can be translated as established. And that word established means so that you're rooted and grounded, you don't easily fall over. And one of the things he set from the beginning before the foundations of the world was that he was going to have sons and daughters. And if he was gonna have sons and daughters, then there was gonna be a father. And if there was gonna be a father and sons and daughters, then there's a family. And it wasn't just a natural family, but it was adoption, meaning he chose you and he established you. And he wanted to do it this way because he knew if he, could, he would do it in this way, if he would choose us, then we would not easily fall over when we identify ourselves as sons and daughters of God. And we do that and we're able to do that and it's legal because it's in Christ. It's by his blood and it's by his grace. And we know that in him that we are chosen. In him we are made holy. And in him we are made blameless before his father. And so we can say of ourselves, I am chosen. I am predestined for adoption to sonship by the heavenly father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that he did by accident. You're not an accident. You were chosen on purpose and he has a plan for your life. Meaning this was not something that he came into lightly. He came in and he purposed from the beginning of the world, I want you. And not just humanity. He's like, I want you. He said, I want Frank, I want Megan, I want Katerina, I want Dean, insert your name. I want to adopt you. And I've predestined from before all eternity to adopt you as a son and daughter if you're willing to have me as a father. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Ephesians 6, we see that the glory and his glory and his grace is towards us in Christ, meaning I'm accepted by God and I'm a recipient of his grace and his glory. His grace being his supernatural empowerment that allows us to do, empowers us to do what we need to do when we need to do it. And his glory, his anointing, his, his, his power, his favor. These are things that he purposed towards us and they're found 
in Christ. So if they're in Christ, then I want to be all in. You're going to see this rhythm here, being in him. Ephesians 7, we see the redemption through his blood in him, forgiveness by grace in him, which is lavished on us with wisdom and insight, meaning all of the redemption of everything we've done wrong in our life is found where? In him. And if it's found in him, then I want to be all in. I don't want to live a life that's not redeemed. Meaning he takes the broken things, he takes the hurt, he takes the ashes, he takes the, the hard things of our life and he makes them right and he does it through who? His son. Amen. And when we're found in him, then we're found in the place of redemption. Meaning your story is not a story that has an end that's a bad ending, it's an ending of redemption. Amen. Meaning whatever place and wherever you are in your life, there is redemption coming. Any place that it is not fully looking like the Lord. Any place in your life that is not fully soaked in hope, there's redemption coming. But that redemption is only found in him. Ephesians verses 9 through 11. We see this powerful prayer, this powerful statement. He's saying that the mystery of his will was made known in Christ that he might gather together in one all things in Christ and that we have an inheritance in him. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance from your father. All the riches and the glory of the heavenly places he has destined for you to have. And it's not these earthly riches. It's not this, we're not just talking about money or fame or fortune. We're talking about the ability to live right, to have a sound mind, to walk in peace, to walk in love, to be placed in a family, to have purpose. We're talking about uh, having breath. We're talking about having strength in our life. We're talking about the ability to, to prosper in our spirit and physically prosper. And we have to realize that maybe we're not fully functioning in it. Maybe these riches, this inheritance is not fully in our possession, but it is in our account. You know, you think of your money, right? Money is an easy example. You got an ATM card. You got your debit card. You don't have all the cash attached to your name in your pockets right now, but you do have the card that can access everything that you have in your account. It, it may not be in your possession, but it's in your account. Everything you need, every inheritance that the Lord has ordained for you is already deposited in your account. And now it's his grace and it's his mercy that he doesn't allow us to just withdraw it all at once because there is a maturing that must take place so that we can handle the withdrawals. But I promise you that as you mature, as you devote yourself to Christ, the more he allows you to withdraw things and bring it into possession. There are riches of glory that is his inheritance that he put in the saints. He put it in you. He put his bank account in you. He put everything you need in you. And why was the father able to do that? Because he put you in his son. And he put his son in you. How does that happen? We don't know. <laughs> but it happened. It's by his blood. Verses 13 to 14, we see that the Holy Spirit is the sealed, 
it's the, he's the one that seals this inheritance in Christ. He is the promise. He's the, the engagement ring, the promised ring. He is the one that comes and he dwells in us and in a way announces us before the Father that th- these are yours. This one is yours. He is our guarantee of the heavenly things, of the heavenly places. He is the helper that came. And we see that here in verse 13 and 14. And that we're indwelled in the moment of our salvation and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit who guarantees our inclusion into the family of God. And I I do say this, it's not just this inclusion of the family, meaning it's not just salvation. This whole life is not just about, you know, get into heaven and get out of jail get out of hell card, you know? Like that's, that's not what this whole thing's for. That is the beginning. It's the starting place. It's the gift of eternal life that we get right in the moment of our salvation, right in the moment that we put Jesus as the Lord of our life and the Father position just positions us in him. But it's just the beginning of an introduction to the life into the kingdom that can be lived today and now and not just reserved for eternity. It's this thing where he invites us into the Matthew 6 prayer, now pray in this way, because now you have a father and now you can legally say, our father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and you know the rest of it. This is the invitation to us. It's the starting place and the Holy Spirit is the guarantor. He's the one that says, yeah, now you can pray that prayer and now you can release his kingdom on the earth, both in your life and in the lives around you because you're in Christ. Verses 15 to 18, we see that we have access to spiritual wisdom and insight in Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is the prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers. Can I read it again? I pray this one all the time on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, We love it. And so, therefore I, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. If you want to put your hands out as I read Paul's prayer over us. There we go. Father, we pray that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, we believe, Lord, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. All of these things, this prayer that Paul is praying, he knows that he can pray this prayer. Why? Because the Father worked it in his Son. And when did he work it in his Son? He worked it towards his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his seating in heavenly places. And we'll see a little later on that he invites us and he says that you were crucified with Christ, Buried with Christ, raised with Christ, and seated with him. How can we legally even have that happen? It's by his blood and the fact that the Father put us in his Son. Meaning this, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't just look at you and only see you. He looks at you through the lens of his Son. We get to participate in the resurrection, the ascension, 
the seating of Christ because of the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the blood and the grace of Jesus. The last few verses, we see that as a member of the body of Christ, that we are united to the Lord and we get to represent him here on the earth. It says that they, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is his body. We are the church. We are part of the body of Jesus. And it says that he is the head of the church and everything is under his feet. He is above all things, which means you through him are above all things. That's why he's the God who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is the God that keeps you. In Revelation, we see that he is the God in the midst of the lampstands, the lampstands representing the church. He is the God in the midst of us. He is the God that keeps us. He is the God that sustains us. And he's the God that places us above every ruler and principality of this world. And I love this. Look in Ephesians 2. We have time today because we had less time in the first service. We have time to read a little bit more. Can you read a little bit more scripture with me? I'm teaching you today. This is more teachy, less preachy. But if, we could, if I could teach you something, then you could apply it. Okay? So that I'm not just trying to tickle your ears. I'm trying to give you something that you could apply to your life to live different. Okay? Ephesians 2, verses 5 to 6. Let's go back to 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great, great love with which he loved us. Now listen to this. Even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He made you alive in the very moment where he saw you in sin. You were dead to sin. When you were walking in the world, in the prince of the power of the air and in the lusts of the flesh. We see that in verses one through four. That it was in this, well, let's just read it just for the sake of context. He made you alive, verse one, who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, I love this. I love this. I love this. Because you're children no matter what. Everyone on the earth is a child of something. You realize this. Like, we're not, we're not out here just, like, floating around waiting to become children. We were children to wrath. So that's why it's like, you know, the whole atheism thing. It's, we're not going to go into that. Never mind. But the whole point I'm making is this. You were adopted you were orphaned because you walked away from that and you accepted Christ and then he adopts you in that moment. The, the, the significance of salvation, the supernatural experience that happens at the moment of salvation is incredible because your entire identity, your entire allegiance, your entire, entire loyalty to a different life is completely transformed in one moment. It was he looks at our sin. He looks that we were committed to the world. He looks that we were under the power of the prince of the air. He looks that we were given to the lust of the flesh. And he goes, I'll make you alive. And in that moment, in that state, you don't need to do anything else. Just say yes to me. And then I say yes to you. In fact, he said yes to us first. 
and even with all of those things, and you can fill in the blank, even with all of your stuff in your life, even with all of the things that we try to shame ourselves and condemn ourselves and disqualify ourselves, he looks at it and he says, I'm gonna make you alive and I'm gonna put you in my son. And I'm gonna do it by my grace and I'm gonna raise you up and I'm gonna seat you in the heavenly places in Christ. In verses seven to nine, we see that the riches of his grace his riches and his grace for us are found in Christ and that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We see in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship, a masterpiece, a new creation in Christ and that we walk in the good works found in him. There are no good works outside of him, meaning all the works we do that we think are good, if they're not in him, they're not good works. Everything we do, we do in him, through him, by him, with him. It's the Moses revelation I don't want to go up from this place unless your presence goes with me because how will they know that we are any different than them unless your presence with us, goes with us? It's not just who we are, but it's the things that we do. We do it in him, through him, by him, with him. And if we're going to be in him, then we're going to be all in. Verses 11 to 13 says that we were without him, afar off, without hope. But when we're put in Christ, that by his blood, we are brought near we are brought with him. So now we're with him and we have a hope. You are brought near to God by the blood of Christ. We see in 16 that he reconciles us to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 18 of chapter two that in him we have access to the Father and we have access to God by and through the Holy Spirit. And we see in verses 19 to 22 that in him we have these benefits. We become fellow citizens. We become a family. We have a firm foundation. We grow together into a holy temple and we are built into a dwelling place for God. We're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. This is good news. I'm gonna read, I wrote a few things in response to this today, and I'm gonna read it just for the sake of time. But as Christians, I do believe uh, that we, we do know deep on the inside who we are. There's this truth on the inside of us because he is on the inside of us. But a lot of times we walk around the church or we walk around ministry and we're, there's this confusion that comes, I think because we have so many options in this life. I think because we have so many options that the options itself become our problem. We have too many options. And I think there's an invitation to burn the bridges behind us and to put our hand to the plow and to run hard after God. I know for myself personally, and you can ask my friends, my family, I've committed myself to a number of things. And I could share it, but we'll just call it like ABC, right? I've committed myself to certain things that I'm gonna run after for the rest of my life, you know, until he comes or until I go to be with him. And I am choosing, I, I don't wanna experiment with my life, meaning I don't want to live half in, half out. I'm not willing to live in the gray area. I'm not trying to see how close to the fence that I can live. I want to be fully set apart for him. Every other thing of this life, of this world, I want to burn that bridge. I don't want to have access. I want to only have access to him. And I think 
and I say this because I'm not trying to be heroic. I'm not trying to like, you know, puff myself up or, or whatever. But I think there's this, this point that I want to do what works on the inside. I want to do the thing that actually works. I don't want to experiment with the thing that may work. I want to do the thing that I know that actually works, and that's live a life completely sold out for Jesus. And I believe the way that it works is when you become focused in truth, meaning that when I'm looking at my life, you know, think of, think of it like I, I have glasses, right? The only way that I can actually see the room in focus is if I'm looking through these lenses. I want my focus to be in truth, meaning I need to look at life through the lens of Christ. I need to approach my life from his ways. I need to approach my life from who he says that he is and who he says he is. And the way that I believe it works when we're focusing in the truth is that our, we're, we're beginning to see that our options, meaning these choices in life, are actually the thing that starts to wear us out. Our options are the things that are actually causing so much emotional fatigue. And we're trying to figure out how much we can play in the world and still get some sort of respectful anointing or ministry. And that's the wrong approach. I'm not trying to figure out how much I can play and still have something respectable in ministry or in life. I'm trying to figure out how much God will empower me to be abandoned into the one thing. I'm gonna have the worship team come up. For me, it's the Psalms 27 prayer that David prayed, where he says in verse four, one thing have I desired of the Lord, this one thing will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. What does that, what does that mean? You know, behold the beauty. We, I think I even mentioned it already in the sermon, but it's this reality that we behold as in a mirror the glory of God and we're transformed into his image from glory to glory. We see David, the same psalmist, write that I will not be satisfied until I awaken into his likeness. David understood that to be transformed, we have to see him. We have to behold him. And to behold him is to become like him. And he says this to inquire of his temple, which for me is the ways of God. It's the ways of his kingdom. It's his ways in our life, in our churches, that I want to be so consumed with the one thing who is him. It's him and it's his ways. It's his identity, it's his attributes, and it's the way he decides to be approached, and it's the way he decides to release things on the earth. I want to be so acquainted that that becomes the one thing of my life. And I want to, I want to experiment with God and how abandoned will you let me be to this one thing? where everything else is just thrown off. Every other restraint is thrown off and I thrust myself into him. I am, I'm watching a generation ask so many questions. They want to know the truth. They want to know the real thing. And we're watching a generation, at least in America, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but something like 30 or 33% of uh, this younger generation, Gen Z and millennials actually still go to church. I mean, it's, it's like a low, low number. And then of that, only a similar, either 30 or 33% actually have a firm foundation in what they believe. Meaning, if nothing shifts, we'll have an unreached people group just in this nation. But we have the answer. It's him. It's inviting them and, and bringing them into an encounter with Jesus. Not, not our ministry or our agenda or our idea, it's inviting them to encounter and experience the real God, 
the real Jesus, who we know because he lives on the inside of us. And for us in this room, and even for me, you know, I said to Colt this morning, I had three messages that I've been working on. This is one of them. The other two were completely done. This one was not done. And I said to my, my wife last night, I'm like, I have these three things I could talk about. And she goes, do the all in. And I'm like, but it's not even really done. You know, I'm, I need to have a Bible notes, iPad, because it's not really even done. But then coming here this morning, and knowing like this, this is the invitation right now. He wants us to be all in. He doesn't want a lukewarm church. He wants a church that is on fire. If you think of a match, right, matches, you know, light a candle. There's two ways to light a match. There's two ways to do it. One, you can take the match, you can strike it, you can cause some friction, and that flame will pop up. And the Lord does not mind whatsoever to cause friction in your life in order for your heart to come on fire. But there's an easier way. You take that match and you bring it next to an open flame, it'll ignite every time. And I have set it in my heart to be in places, in people, in spaces where the fire of God is burning. And there is an invitation to go all into the flame of God this morning. There's an invitation to go all in this afternoon. And for some of us, it might be the first time. That invitation is to be in Him. And if we're going to be in Him, that means we're walking away from the things of this world. It means if we're sleeping with our boyfriend, girlfriend, there's grace to stop doing that. That means if we're living in sin, there's grace to stop doing that. That means if we're dishonoring our parents, there's grace to stop doing that. That means if we don't know the word, there's grace to get into here. That means if we don't understand Jesus, there's grace to mature in him. That means if we don't quite know how to verbalize the message of our life and the gospel, there is grace to enter in. The grace of the Lord is more than sufficient and greater than the sin that may exist in our life. But there's the invitation to come all in, to be in Christ completely and holy, and to have our hearts be set on fire. There is not grace, as Paul said, so then should we sin so that grace may abound all the more? Certainly not. It's not, it's not an invitation to continue to live our lives as sinners. It's an invitation to discover what it means to live as the saints. To live in the identity that he calls us and to stop living by names that others and ourselves have named ourselves. You're able to not have burnout in life. It is possible to not have a season away from God. Now maybe we have had it and there's no, I'm not condemning. I'm just telling you what's possible. But those possibilities, those invitations, they're found where? In Christ. And if we're gonna be in Christ, then we have to go all in. Why don't you guys stand with me? I want to pray for us. I'm praying exactly for what I've been preaching this morning. This is for me too, guys. I don't have it all figured out. All I know is there's something inside of me that is so hungry and thirsty for the deep things of God. I'm not satisfied with business as usual and life on the outskirts. I want to be all in. I want to be in the center of what he's doing on the earth and in this city. And let me tell you something. He is moving in this city. 
He is moving, not just in this church, but churches all across the city. He is moving in this region. And if you want to be in the center of what he's doing, you can be. There is nothing that disqualifies you to come into the place where he is. It says that we have been brought near by his blood. I don't know if you remember, but we took communion today. We applied, we surveyed, we applied again the blood of Jesus, which gives us that blood. It still runs warm today. It's not dried off. It still runs warm on us. And when the Father sees us, He sees us through His Son, through that blood. And He says, come up here. I want to show you things. So if you want to put your hands out before the Lord, I want to pray for the grace of God to fall in this room. Father, I thank you for grace to enter into this, what it means to be in Christ, to submit our lives, to make you Lord of our life. For some of you, it might be even a moment of salvation today. If you have not yet given your life over to Christ and you want to do that, you can come up to the altar today. You can come and speak to me or one of the other ministers up here. And we will tell you what you can do to enter in as a son and daughter, to know that there is a God named Jesus who was sent by his Father, his only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternity of salvation, but the beginnings of a life in the kingdom. So if you need that, you come up when I call everyone later and we'll pray with you. But for all of us, Lord, I pray for grace to come upon us to go all in. Lord, whatever fear, I feel like there's this lingering hesitation. Lord, we break this hesitation. Lord, we thank you that quick obedience is obedience. And Lord, we break off doubt and unbelief. God, would you release grace to enter in whatever this hesitation is, to walk away from certain things of life. Lord, would you let it begin to taste sour in our mouth. And Lord, would you let the kingdom begin to taste sweet. Father, I ask for grace in this room to live a life in pursuit of you, in pursuit of holiness, in pursuit of Jesus, in pursuit of Christ. A grace to enter in, all in, to Christ and what that means. To begin to understand what is the knowledge, the riches, the grace, the glory that is His inheritance in us. What does that look like? We want to go all in, God. We want to go all in, and we want to begin to gain an understanding of that as a church. Father, I pray for grace for maturing, a grace that we become mature sons and daughters, disciples of Christ. Would you release that grace over us today? Thank you, Lord. And if you're here today, and your heart is burning, you're feeling something on the inside or maybe you're not feeling anything but you know I want this rich I want what you're saying I want to be all in I want to be burning I want my heart to be set on fire maybe it's never happened or maybe it's been a long time and you want someone to stand and pray with you I want to invite you to come up you can do it right now for those of you who need to go we do bless you we do have family feasts after service for those of you grabbing food and joining us in the lobby we're going to feast together and for the newcomers, there will be a meet and greet happening in a few minutes in the side room. But if you want prayer, just go ahead. Someone's going to come first, and then everyone else is going to follow them. That's usually what happens.
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.